You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, football fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On NFL Podcast. It's Thursday, which means you get Ryan Tracy and myself, Jake Lisko, bringing you all of the latest all things NFL and the big news of the day Ryan is the salary cap ceiling has been set for 2022 the NFLPA and NFL have come to an agreement we've also got some rule changes a leading score retiring and a conversation about positional value coming your way later on in the episode. Today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Go to rockauto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you. Ryan, let's get started with the salary cap number that Tom Pelissero reports has been set. At least the ceiling has been set for 2022 at $208.2 million, a significant bounce back from the $182.5 million figure unadjusted that teams are dealing with in 2021. And they're still dealing with paying off some of that COVID quote-unquote debt that they accrued with a, a low revenue season during the pandemic. I think this is really positive in being able to set what the cap's going to be. Everybody knows where it is now. This is very early to set that number in, in terms of an agreement between the PA. And it lets you, like you said, dig out from what is the, the I don't know if it's paper debt or if it's actual debt. I know some of the players have been vocal in what they've had to deal with with that cap drop. I think it, it springboards them into what we are projecting for a couple of years down the road as well. And that doesn't mean that this is the number, that this is the cap. This is what the ceiling can be. It could be as much as 208.2. doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to, but with that knowledge, I think it allows both players as well as franchises and obviously the league to prepare, make plans, do whatever they can to get ready for that. And I think everyone on the same page this early is, is a solid thing. Yeah, it's interesting to me that they set the ceiling before the floor. But according to Tom Pelosero's report, I guess this gives everybody some peace of mind anyway. It gives them a benchmark. It gives them an idea. It tells everyone that, yes, we're expecting things to recover in 2021. And obviously, there's a massive TV deal coming just next season that effectively doubles the NFL's TV revenue could lead to a massively exploded salary cap in the very, very near future. But you're right, Ryan. It's great news for players, especially those players that took the one-year deals to bet on themselves. We saw a little bit of this in free agency. When they get back onto the market next year, they have an opportunity to take contracts with teams that are a little less hamstrung by the cap. You won't have a situation where Julio Jones needs to be traded because Atlanta found themselves in cap hell due to, due to an unexpected decrease of the cap from one year to the next. And, and that's what foresight is about. That's what having everybody on the same page does. The The details of this deal are, are a little vague in some places, but one thing is pretty clear is that there was some give and take between the two organizations. And I think that's a positive step in what we're going to see in coming years, both based on revenue, understanding that there's a brand new CBA in place, and now you're going to get this windfall of new media contracts. So to have them be able to work out some things where uh, – 
they didn't go into escrow for player salaries and they didn't pay out uh, benefits. I think it was like 17 million per club. That, those are sizable chunks of change that by putting some of that on hold and doing a little give and take between the two parties, the key thing for me is that allows you to get the main goal done. And that is what they described as uh, making an agreement to spread out the gap in revenue as evenly as possible over a three-year period. That's important because we've heard from several people in the know that have worked in this industry from the cap aspect that we're expecting numbers as lofty as nearing 300 million in the next couple of seasons. That's what this has to do in setting the foundation to be able to make those leaps. Imagining an NFL with a $300 million cap right now in a year where the cap has just gone down for the first time in recent memory is kind of a crazy thing to imagine. You think about the contracts of guys like Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes, who are currently looking at taking up, you know, almost 20% of their respective team salary caps. In the future, that number is going to be a lot closer to 15%. So it'll be interesting to see how quarterback contracts for the next set of guys that are due for their extensions in the next few years, how those interact with the salary cap potentially going up to $300 million and how the rest of salaries compensate as well. Because a lot of fans of teams might be thinking, oh yeah, $300 million cap. I'm going to be able to extend Kyler Murray. No problem. I'm going to be able to extend Joe Burrow. No problem. Well, truth is those teams probably figure it out either way. If those are their franchise quarterbacks, think about Trevor Lawrence in a few years down the road. What are those next QB mega deals going to look like? If, if the salary cap has gone up 33%, do quarterback deals also go up 33%? Will it be that the rising tide raises all boats kind of situation? All I know is uh, Pat Mahomes is looking cheaper by the day if this comes true. I mean, I, I said when they signed the deal, and, and I still say it today, that, that deal was a bargain for the Chiefs, and they knew it at the time. They, they knew what was coming. I think everyone kind of... COVID aside, had the idea the salary cap is going to continue to go up. And this happens in baseball all the time, too. You look back on deals like five years later and inflation has happened. And now that deal that everyone was like, oh, man, that's a terrible deal. Now, now it looks pretty reasonable, except Albert Pujols. That one, you know, there's there's some money there that I'm sure the Angels didn't feel like they got their money worth. Last note on this, Ryan, before we move on to the next topic and we don't become a baseball podcast is a point of clarification about what happens with excess revenue. And this is clarified in the last point of the letter from the NFLPA from J.C. Treader and Demoris Smith. Revenue will increase, they project next year. And if the cap for 2022 is calculated above the ceiling they set, at $208.2 million, that excess money will be used to pay back benefits that they had to delay paying that you mentioned earlier, Ryan, in the 2020 season. So that answers my question about why they set the ceiling before they set the floor. They're both interested in maximizing salaries for their players as well as dealing with the revenue shortfall that caused them to delay those benefit payments in 2020. So all of that does make sense when you have all the facts and now you do as listeners to the Locked On NFL podcast. Coming up next, a few other important news items to talk about today, Ryan. OTAs are underway and we've got some rule changes in 2021. The chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics versus us do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and they're reliably low. rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing their prices 
based on whims like the airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require a membership or an account login. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend twice the money for the same parts? Go to RockAuto.com now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. OTAs are back in full swing, and there's at least one player that will not be participating. And I want to point this out because this is, you know, for the next 365 days, this will be the one time you'll hear me lead off a segment about a special teams player. It's I think we need to celebrate a little bit that Adam Vinatieri has decided to hang it up. Uh, the highest scoring player in the history of the league. Good for you. I'm glad that you made it to this point. A very storied career that I have to admit is the rarity for the specialists. And I do believe that it, it deserves a shout out. When you think about how many big kicks he's made and how many points he's put up with two very, I think, challenged and prolific organizations, I think that's a career to be proud of and, and good for him. Get out while you can still walk, Adam. I'm, I'm glad you're out. He played football until he was 47 years old. You know who else played football until he was 47 years old? Morton Anderson, who previously held the all-time scoring record. Kickers get these records. They they kick all these field goals. They kick forever. I mean, Morton Anderson came into the NFL in 1982. He left the NFL in 2007. Adam Vinatieri came into the league a little bit older than Mort. He was 24 instead of 22 when Morton Anderson came in the league, but also kicked until 47 from 1996 to 2019. Great career for Vinatieri. And my favorite thing about his career is you look at all these kickers, all these leading scorers on the list at NFL reference, or sorry, pro football reference. It goes Vinatieri, Anderson, Anderson, two teams, five teams, five teams. And then... Quick shout out while we're on a kicker roll here. <laughs> Jason Hansen, the fourth leading scorer in NFL history, wire to wire wearing those Detroit Lions uniforms. So good for Jason Hansen and the Lions, but I digress. Adam Vinatieri, what stands out here is that he only played for those two teams where a lot of kickers do bounce around so much, playing with Tom Brady and and with Peyton, right? In, in Indianapolis, it, did, mm-hmm. did they cross paths while Peyton was still there? I do believe somebody has to kick those extra points, right? Yeah, and obviously, like you mentioned, some clutch vehicles. Oh, yeah, he's been in Indianapolis since 2006. Yeah. So, of course, that that is much earlier than I than I thought it was. But there you go. The career of Adam Vinatieri, a surefire Hall of Famer, and some love for a kicker. Not every day we talk about kickers on NFL Focus Podcast. Get it out of your system. That was it, folks. Congrats to a historical career. And there's more about history going on here. A nice announcement here that I think goes a step farther. We're a year removed from what Jim Nagy said was going to be a specific combine for the historically black colleges and university that's going to happen this coming year in Mobile, Alabama. Now, this is part of the run-up to the draft, and I know we just finished a draft, and everybody's a little draft exhausted. But this is important because these are not – 
colleges that generally get the exposure of the SECs and a lot of the bigger schools. I think this is important. This goes another step towards getting as much exposure for as many players from all different levels as you can. And next year, not to get too far ahead and start thinking about the draft, like you said, because there is draft fatigue. And I may or may not have already gone back and done a post-draft episode last week. But that aside, when you look forward to next year's draft, there's going to be way more players in that player pool than in this year's draft. I think they said about a third of the players you would normally expect to see coming out of college and declaring themselves eligible for the NFL draft were available in 2021. In 2022, a lot of those guys that took advantage of extra years of eligibility or just decided to go back for an extra year where there might be some more certainty, those guys will all be coming out next year. So there will be potentially an older class in some spots and Mm -hmm. a much deeper class. And so that being said, giving a special showcase to players that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be part of the NFL's national combine circuit, maybe they'd be at some regional combines, but giving them an opportunity to get in front of NFL scouts is fantastic because just as we talked about last week, a lot of what happens in the NFL is, is, you know, who, you know, what your exposure is and getting an opportunity for that exposure is, is only going to lead to a deeper talent pool and an increased level of play in the long term in the NFL. And it's more sustainable, in my opinion, as well. So if you raise the tide on all these different aspects of the game and where players, coaches, et cetera, come from, I think that raises the entire league. And another story that goes along those lines is that you, you've you seen Katie Sowers on TV. You saw her while she was coaching in San Francisco. Now she's back in the league. She's going to be with Kansas City on the Bill Walsh Diversity Fellowship again this year. Spreading around female coaching, as we talked about last week with the summit in Tampa Bay, this just goes another step forward to take the NFL, which was traditionally a a very microcosm of our society, and expand it outward and outward and outward. And I think this is another step forward. Another potential triumph here for the Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Fellowship and another opportunity for Sowers, who most recently was assisting Wes Welker, who's coaching wide receivers out in San Francisco. She had a job with Kyle Shanahan out there working with those receivers and now goes to Kansas City. Looking back at the Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Program, a couple coaches that came through this program are, are guys that went on to be head coaches. So all men for now. We'll see what the future holds, but Hugh Jackson, Marvin Lewis, Anthony Lynn, and Mike Tomlin, all former Bill Walsh diversity coaches. So this thing has produced some really high caliber NFL coaches, and hopefully it can continue to do so. And speaking of coaching things, one thing that coaches have to be responsible for, of course, knowing the rules, knowing rule changes, and coaching the players in techniques that avoid violating those rules. And the NFL has made a change, or has rather approved a change to low block rules starting this year. So they've approved a change that will prohibit blocking below the waist by offensive or defensive players on scrimmage downs when contact occurs beyond five yards on either side of the line of scrimmage, which is noteworthy because that sounds like it also goes behind the line of scrimmage and on more than two yards outside of either tackle. And that sounds like it might be difficult to enforce a little bit. There's a lot of boundaries there to think about for officials. Yeah, this is like the ultimate strike box, right? That you have to keep floating and keeping an eye on. It sounds difficult, but 
I think it's worth doing. And at this point, you everyone can visualize that stray pass rusher that gets past everyone, and the offside guard is, you know, flailing around trying to get somebody and has to dive at a pass rusher's feet to try to protect his quarterback. And that's that's going to change here. That's going to put a little more impetus on the quarterback to use his escape routes and not stand in the pocket. And I think at the end, it may lead to what is again down the line player safety and health elongating careers and not sustaining these you know below the knee especially knee cruciate ligaments and cetera injuries especially in the trenches which is i feel like a lot of the times where we see guys get rolled up on and hopefully this rule change does help with that i'm sure defensive players are the ones that are primarily happy about this it'll protect them a little bit downfield on you know some screens and stuff like that where you see offensive linemen get out in front and then dive in front of a defender's legs. It's been a very effective and sometimes relatively safe play and and a legal play for a very long time in the NFL. But now if you're leading on on a little running back screen outside and you're a tackle trying to get out in front, you can't dive at a guy's you know, thighs or knees anymore. So it will be interesting to see how this impacts the game. I'm sure offensive linemen will be coached to stay on their feet a little bit more. We'll see an adjustment period. It'll be interesting to see, you know, when this becomes a point of emphasis for the league. That's the other thing that's always something to watch for is when the league does change rules and implement new rules. Sometimes there's a little bit of a grace period, you know, and only the egregious stuff gets called at first. Or maybe this will be one of those rules where they emphasize it right away, because as you point out, there is that player safety element. I think that they need to. We've also seen the opposite go on where they start calling things in preseason. Everybody loses their minds and realizes the game is difficult to play that way. And more importantly, in this case, difficult to officiate that way. So I think we're going to have to see how this goes in the preseason. Preseason has a lot of things on the line, and that includes about where you get your value. We're going to talk about some positional needs and where they line up in value coming up next. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action with the NBA playoffs well underway. Did you know the New York Knicks are in the NBA playoffs this year? I didn't even know they had a winning record. If you're a Knicks fan and you want to stick it to me, go bet on the Knicks at betonline.ag. The Stanley Cup playoffs also underway. We've got the MLB regular season going to bet online also has you covered for MMA and UFC. They run the gamut of all sports betting, including, as you're an NFL fan, NFL futures and win total over-unders. All of that available for your perusal on betonline.ag. And right now, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up using promo code LOCKEDON. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% deposit bonus at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Another topic that we have to get into as the league continues to evolve and rule changes do feed into that is where you get your value versus what you need on the field in the modern era of the NFL. We're going to start some discussions today that will carry over and we'll talk about a lot of different positions as we go through the offseason and even leading up through training camp as well because we will see some of it adjust on the fly. And For me, when you hear ex-players, especially those that are recently on the field, talk about what they see from their ground-level perspective of the changing of the NFL. One guy in particular was on with the NFL Network here last week, Luke Keekley, talking about the difference between what a linebacker was when he was coming up, when he was going to college, versus what it's morphed into now. And I think it plays against 
what we've seen in the evolution of the tight end position too. Those two lining up across from each other quite frequently and in the old days being matched up over and over and over. I think we're seeing the tide and there's probably no more litmus test in the league right now than the linebackers for what the evolution of the passing game is because more and more of them become the Coromoas, the guys that are 220 pounds and would traditionally have been a safety and maybe not even a strong safety 20 years ago are now quote-unquote linebackers. And I think that really has to be addressed in how you use them schematically, and that changes where you have need for them. Luke Keekley also wasn't a terribly big guy. He's now scouting for the Carolina Panthers. Maybe is where this perspective is coming from a little bit as he transitions from player to player evaluator in a front office trying to determine what guys fit in with Matt Rule's Panthers. It does make sense that you would have a bit of a perspective change. And one of the most interesting things to me when you talk about positional value and linebacker is certainly a fantastic place to start with the way the game is changing One aspect that I I really like for this is how do you really capture it and and who is trying to capture positional value and and how much of it is tied up with the analytic community, right? Because you, you ask the analytic community, they'll tell you people who impact the pass, the passer, the pass catcher, those are the most impactful positions on the football field. So quarterbacks, receivers, corners, pass rushers, tackles interior offensive linemen, dominant three techs. But when you think about special players like Luke Keekley, like Bobby Wagner at the linebacker position, Levante David, a series of special athletes who could do a lot that would transform a defense more than a traditional quote unquote good linebacker would. Those guys don't really fit the, the conventional or even new age wisdom from an analytically derived perspective, a mathematically derived perspective about what is a valuable position on the football field because they do things that allow you to change your scheme and they do things that can't quite be quantified. Now, to the analytic community's credit, they are trying to quantify this. So for example, take a nose tackle, a run-stuffing nose tackle. Let's talk about Vince Wilfork, right? He he can two-gap, he can one-gap, very versatile, very talented guy, but was really one of the biggest strengths for him, a run plugger, right? He's on the field. He can control the point of attack very frequently. That That's one of his strengths. That allows Bill Belichick to behind him say, you know what, we're going to put an extra defensive back on the field or we're going to cut the defense in half and, and do something weird on one half because we have Vince Wilfork in the middle and he can be adaptable. And so when you have a guy like that or a modern day I guess example would be, you know, Vitavea, who who's for the Buccaneers moving around, aligning at different positions, aligning a defensive end in the Super Bowl, and, and you know, still being able to line up at a, at a nose tackle. It allows you to to change things and, and there's value there in terms of if you have that dominant run stuffer or you have that linebacker who can run with the tight end, those special players transcend, I think, in a lot of ways the the broader mathematical approach to position value. Well, and if you think back, it's not just the classic, the D tackles are going to cover up and let the linebackers run. You've heard that in textbooks and from every Pop Warner coach from like 1967, right? Well, take a look. It's it's impressive that you went exactly where I was going to go in Vita Vea and look what he did. Look what he did in the last football game that anyone has seen in the NFL. Who are the linebackers behind him? 
David, a guy that is prototypical when he came out, a little bit older, right? Definitely in that genre behind Brian Urlacher, a transplanted safety who came down in the linebacker level because he had movement skills. And then you see a guy that ran, <laughs> I mean, just what, last week was it? Four, three, seven, racing wide receivers? It's no coincidence that having that front allows you to play these coverage-based linebackers that are able to keep up with some of the best athletes at the positions that they're playing against in the entire league. That changes when you have the big dudes up front. The question is, are there enough of them and can you sustain them? And so does that make the need for the coverage linebacker that much more important? Or is everyone still searching for a hybrid who can try to get it all done? You know, I think it's really interesting when you ask that question about does that make the coverage linebacker more important? Because I think the numbers would probably say no in most cases. But you you got guys like Kyle Pitts coming into the league. You've got George Kittle. You've got Travis Kelsey. And they're pretty much zero teams that can effectively handle those guys, especially on a consistent basis. And luckily for most teams, I guess, if you come up with a plan that works for one game, you're probably not going to see the guy again in a season. But uh, those are guys that are on teams, maybe not Pitts. We'll see in Atlanta. We'll see if they can make a push in the waning years of, of Matt Ryan's career. But uh, the the other two guys, Travis Kelsey and, and George Kittle, are on teams that I think a lot of people expect to be in contention in the playoffs. So when you're thinking about your team and how you want to prioritize your draft, do I want to go draft a Devin White? Do I want to go draft a Devin Bush? Do I want to go draft an Isaiah Simmons? Do I want to use my premium draft capital on a linebacker? Well, one, you better have the rest of your team pretty well in shape because those guys, no matter how good they are, are not going to transform your team for the most part more than the the equivalent talent you could get in another position. So that is a place where I think positional value holds up. But if you're thinking you know, I've got a pretty good team and I'm looking at the Chiefs and Tampa Bay and the the 49ers as potentially my, my playoff rivals or my division rivals, then things change. So context, as always, very important, I think, for teams when making decisions about what positions are more valuable, because for most teams, you're probably thinking, well, I'll just get corners, right? If I want to improve my coverage, I'll either I'll either fix my pass rush or I'll go get a corner that I think is going to be a really good corner. And your first thought is certainly not linebacker most of the time. No, and it's funny how that shift goes on. But then again, let's see what happens in the next season because it's interesting up in New England, they're going to go to 12 personnel a lot more. The X factor that John o. Smith can be in that particular offense is going to be interesting to see how you counteract that. Does the rest of the AFC East have enough linebacker power to get around that and be able to defend two tight ends that can take advantage of you with their athleticism, not just with the scheme up and the routes that they're going to be running because that stresses you in a whole different way. And then you get into the core of Moas and, and what can you do with him and what can't you do? Do we see the pendulum now swing back? If everybody's set up to defend tight ends, double, single, or otherwise, because they have their lighter, more mobile linebackers, what does that do to the box? And what does that bring you back? Can you rely on those interior defensive linemen to hold down those gaps? Or do we see more of a, a what has been probably the, the dominant run scheme in this league for a couple of years, the zone? Does that start to fade off? Do you get more power scheme now? Because you just need to move the guy at the point of attack out of the way, and now you have an advantage at the second level. I think there's a lot of 
potential trends already emerging in the NFL around this topic, specifically around the wide zone with defensive fronts evolving already to deal with this. And that's a pendulum in the NFL. I saw a great thread. I wish I could remember who wrote it on Twitter that pointed out some of the ways that some of the wide zone teams were seeing defenses designed to, to prevent the wide zone from working. Maybe it's a bare front. Maybe it's something else. I, I can't actually remember the specifics right now, but what those teams are doing is they're given those same looks and there's only so many ways to run the football in the NFL, right? So if they get that front, they have a specific front. They have a package running play where if, if they see one front, it's a wide zone. If it's another front, they have a trap play. Or, or they have some sort of man play built in a counter, something like that, where they're going to take advantage of that tendency. And so you're seeing the good wide zone teams identify these are the fronts that give us problems and these are the adaptations we're going to make. Now, this conversation started with positional value. And I, and I think this is where it differs from division to division because, you know, in the NFC West, you got, you know, Kyle Shanahan and, and McVay out there going crazy with their run game designs and the AFC North, you have a bunch of teams. You have, you have Nick Chubb and, 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 and Kareem Hunt in Cleveland, a really good running back tandem. You got, you've got a renewed emphasis on the running game. I think with the Steelers and an aging Ben Roethlisberger and the Bengals with Joe Burrow coming off of injury. And you've obviously got Lamar Jackson, JK Dobbins down in Baltimore doing their crazy stuff in the run game. So all of those teams or maybe not all of them, but three out of four of those teams have two giant nose tackles they can put in the middle of the field and try to control the running game. So it's interesting to see how the conversation kind of shifts when you look at different division dynamics. The the AFC West, you got all the speed at wide receiver and that arms race that's been going on in the last few years. Each division having its own identity does add a lot of flavor to the conversation. And I think that all those aspects are tied together like we were talking about before that is the element of roster building that everyone kind of overlooks because you see xyz what they can do but you forget that it takes this prerequisite of having the d line for these linebackers in order to get that done that's why we're going to keep concentrating on roster building and how they go about building for the next era of the nfl we hope that you guys like this one we hope that you'll come back make sure you check out chris and q tomorrow they're going to wrap up the week you can hit us at itunes let us know what you think or if you have some topics you'd like us to talk about and in terms of building these rosters. For Jake Lisko, I'm Ryan Tracy. Thanks for listening to us today. We'll check you next week.